Welcome, everyone, to the new 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories podcast. Here you'll find a collection of Sherlock Holmes adventures, as well as the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's stories. Some from our archives at 1001 Classic Short Stories and 1001 Stories for the Road, and some newly produced, all here for your entertainment. I was very rarely seated at breakfast before Sherlock Holmes came down, but at that time, early in 1882, I'd not been living in lodgings at 221B Baker Street long enough to appreciate Sherlock Holmes' early morning habits. I had therefore helped myself to eggs, bacon and coffee and proceeded to read the newspaper. The one Holmes always opened the moment it was brought up by Mrs. Hudson. Holmes soon took it from me. He glanced at the headlines, dismissing all the political and business news, and quickly found a report that interested him. Hmm. Did you read this, Watson? Most strange coincidence. Listen. Strange event of the Royal Oxford Crown. The well-known sales rooms of White and Milton were placed in confusion yesterday when all hope of bidding for the special coin, the Charles II Royal Oxford Crown, were abandoned. The coin, which has been on view for days, disappeared within hours of it coming under the hammer, and another comparatively worthless coin of a similar type was found in its place. The resulting investigation and search proved useless. The coin has disappeared, and the authorities are completely baffled. But, Holmes, oh. that, that letter you just opened, it, it must refer to this event. The auction rooms of White and Mills. This person who's coming to see you has been involved in some way. Yes, yes, it's most interesting. Ah, that could well be our early visitor. I think Mrs. Hudson will answer the bell, Watson. But perhaps you'd welcome her in while I clear some of the breakfast things onto the tray. Uh, very well, Holmes. I think we shall find that our caller is a young woman. Beautiful and in distress. <laughs> Not a romantic, Watson. Yes, my excellent Thank you. You have an appointment, Oh, uh, uh, That's all right, Mrs. Hudson. Mr. Holmes is expecting the lady. Uh, please step this way. Thank you. I'm Dr. Watson. I share these rooms with Mr. Holmes. Uh, please come in. Thank you. Uh, you were uh, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. You got my letter? Ah, yes. I see it upon the table. Uh, thank you for granting me this appointment. Uh, my name is Evelyn Summerhays, and I really am in great trouble. I hope I shall not take up too much of your time. The missing coin? The Royal Oxford Crown? I've just been reading about it in the newspaper. Uh, please do be seated, Miss Summerhays. May I offer you some coffee? Uh, thank you, no. I've had breakfast. Well, now, tell me how you happen to be concerned in this strange affair. Well, it's a long story. I will try to be brief. I came to London nearly a year ago from Cumberland. I knew very few people in the city. I managed to get suitable accommodation, but I found I needed to work. I'm not a very patient person. I could not make a success of the task as a governess or teaching children. On the other hand, I'm very well read and speak quite a few languages. I obtained a job working on a newspaper. Oh, yes, I know it's unusual to have women writing for the press, but one must move with the times. My articles and news reports are acceptable under the heading of Evelyn Summerhays, because most readers think that I'm a man. I enjoy my job, Mr. Holmes. I'm sure you're extremely good at it. And was it as a newspaper woman that you went to the auction rooms? Yes. I'd heard about the Charles II coin being up for auction. It realized some 250 pounds some years ago. There were only a dozen known to have been struck. It was to commemorate the Oxford Parliament when Charles II ruled without using the house at all. I thought it would make an interesting article. I didn't know much about coin auctions, but I went along. There were only about eight people present... A handful of elderly gentlemen asking to see the coins, uh, which were in trays taken from drawers. 
Each coin had its own separate box in the tray. I obtained a catalogue and looked up the Oxford Royal. It was lot number 28. I thought it was a good opportunity to view the coin in detail, and so I called for that particular tray. <laughs> May I do lot 28, please? Very well, 28. It's the lady at the centre of the table, please. Thank you. <laughs> so this is the famous Oxford Royal. Most interesting. Hardly seems any different from the others. You think it looks like all the rest? Oh, oh I'm sorry. Yes, yes, you read my mind. It does look quite ordinary. Compare it with others from this trade, for instance. You will find it is quite different. Regardless of the age of the coin, the metal itself shows a different color. And the weight is quite extraordinary. You see? Yes. Yes, of course, you're right. You are obviously not a collector. Others around this table have no need to even hold the coin to tell you these things. Uh, no, no, I don't collect coins, although I have seen many coin collections. I haven't taken all that much interest until now. Uh, how long do you think it'll be before this lot is auctioned? So an hour, I should say. That is if they start straight away. Uh, please will the attendants collect all trays on display. Oh, I, I'm terribly sorry. Oh, that's all right. Here, uh, take the tray, attendant. Very well, madam. We will commence with lot one. If you can sell your catalogues, you will know the history of these coins, which make up the Downsbury collection. They were originally... I sat fascinated as the auction proceeded. Everyone round the arc of the main table seemed to know exactly what would happen. It moved very swiftly. The young man sitting next to me bid for a lot and made the purchase with hardly a glance at the coin when it was placed in an envelope and handed to him. Shortly after that, lot 28, the Oxford Royal, came up. I was interested to find out how much it would bring. After that, I would leave and go back to my apartment, write the article. But... Lot 28, the Oxford Royal coin, minted in the time of Charles II, the year of 1681. Excuse me, but that is not the Oxford Royal. Maybe in the right box, but it's the wrong coin. I can see from here. That is not the Oxford Royal crown. It is not. Quietly, quietly. Allow me to examine the lot, please. The gentleman is quite correct. There has been some mistake. This is the wrong coin. I'm sorry, but I must discontinue the selling. This is an important lot. Did anyone in this room ask to see the royal crown before the bidding began? Uh, yes, yes, uh, the lady did. She was the last to handle it before you began, sir. Uh, madam, did you see this tray before the auction started? Uh, yes, yes, I examined it and returned it to the box. I know it was the correct one. I made notes about it. Even a rough sketch of the face design. Uh, well, this is a most awkward situation, Miss... Uh, Summer Hayes. Evelyn Summer Well, Miss Summer Hayes, I hardly know what to say. Everyone here is known to me by sight, if not by name. Uh, we have, of course, the name and address of everyone. Uh, about yourself? I live at number 17, Hearthstone Mansions, Trevor Square, Knightsbridge. Thank you. I have no intention of embarrassing you, but is there anyone to whom we can refer who knows you personally? You must understand that this is no reflection upon yourself. It simply places you on the same terms. I understand. If you care to refer to the editor of the Evening Star newspaper, he will give you any references you may need. I don't see that I can help more than that. If you have any ladies on the staff, I'll be agreeable to a personal search of my clothing and handbag. 
I presume that the gentlemen will also raise their objections to the business of similar treatment. Order, please. Order. Now, please, this must be conducted in a decorous manner. I am afraid I shall have to get in touch with our solicitors and perhaps inform the police. <laughs> Meanwhile, will you all please remain seated? There was no confusion. It was all too orderly and civilized for that. Nevertheless, I remained until the end. I was the last to go, having made a written statement. The orderly who showed me out reassured me by saying muddles like this had occurred before. But I'm still very much under suspicion as a thief. Can you advise me, Mr. Holmes? This could jeopardize my whole future. Mm. First, a few questions. The young man sitting next to you, uh, did he speak to you again that morning? Yes, he hung about after the others had gone and wished me well. He hoped I wouldn't be detained. I see. Now, when he suggested, before the bidding began, that you compared the Oxford Royal with a coin from another tray, was there at any time a slight confusion? Did you, for instance, drop any of the coins? Well, I... Why, yes. Yes, I, I think I did. Yes, I... I was a little embarrassed by the young man's attention, and I... I dropped the coins in the box. But I picked them up and placed them back immediately, of course. Ah, but could you, quite inadvertently, have returned the coins to the wrong boxes? Transposed them, for instance? Now, think carefully, Miss Summerhays. Is such a thing possible? Why, yes. Yes. I, I was confused. I, I could have done so, I, I suppose. Yes. Yes, that, that, is, that is quite possible. Mr. Holmes, is that the answer? No, I don't think it is the answer at all. But I do think it could be the beginning. Would you like me to investigate the matter from now on, Miss Summerhays? The following classic Springbok radio commercial comes to you with the courtesy of the Springbok Radio Preservation Society of South Africa. New Pepsodent has Erlium, an amazing discovery that actually polishes teeth so sparkling clean and white, dulling film can't find a hole. Feel the difference with your tongue. New Pepsodent, the white toothpaste you can feel working. Looking for space to hang and dry your washing? Washline distributors have the solution. Their rotating and fold-down wash lines take up the smallest spaces. Ideal for townhouses, simplexes and balconies at affordable prices. Galvanized or powder-coated and available in five different colors. For 24-hour delivery, installation, reliable and friendly service, phone Washline Distributors on 011-792-2486. That's 011-792-2486. Wash lines for every space and need. Miss Summerhay's reaction to Holmes' suggestion was one of great pleasure. She protested that she'd merely come to him for advice, that this was a case far too minor for his attention, and that she'd be unable to pay for his services. All these doubts Holmes brushed aside with a wave of his hand. He was intrigued, like a student being set a mathematical problem. He was determined to find the correct answer, and as quickly as possible. I half suspected that already he was way ahead of us, and had formed a possible theory. 
even in summer haze, was caught up by his quiet enthusiasm. Well, it's most generous of you, Mr. Holmes. Naturally, I wish to clear myself of all suspicions and get to the bottom of the whole matter. Good. Then let me continue with my questioning. Uh, there was a search of sorts, I imagine. I mean, the trays must have been examined, the areas around the table, the floors, etc. Oh, yes, yes. The auctioneer, uh, a gentleman named Dukes, was very thorough. A few officials arrived and asked interminable questions. This must have meant that everyone left the seats they were occupying. Yes, tell me, Miss Summerhays, did you return to the same chair once the search had been concluded? Uh, well, yes, yes. Well, at least I think it was the same chair. Ah, now tell me, and think carefully. Can you recall anything happening at that particular time? Anything, however small and unimportant it may seem? Any little detail? I don't think so. Oh, just a moment. There was one small detail. I went back and sat in what I thought was the same chair, and, and then the young man who was talking to me earlier, he came along the same row, and he spoke to me again. Uh, excuse me, but you are occupying my seat, I think. Oh, well, there are plenty of vacant chairs. The row is almost empty. There was nothing on the seat to say it was yours. There were no coat, and uh, No, no, but, well, I, I, I like to sit in the same place, you see. I... Oh, please take your places. I just ask no one to leave until they have given permission. It has been decided to cancel the rest of this morning's selling. Miss Summerhead, I wonder if you would be good enough to stay for a short while after the others have left. Then that was that. So, uh, the young man didn't reclaim his seat. Splendid, splendid. Yes, it's all beginning to make sense. Fitting in like a neat jigsaw puzzle. I must confess that I cannot see it myself. Well, no matter, no matter. The whole point is that if you didn't remove the coin, then someone else did. And the only person who could have done so was the young gentleman next to you. Now, two questions. Do you know the man's name? And do you know the number of the lot you say he purchased earlier in the auction? The answer to both of those questions is no. His name was never mentioned. Although I think I heard one of the men call him Olden, Oldbury, something like that. And while I know he did make a purchase, I can't remember the lot number. Oh, it doesn't matter. Those facts can be obtained without much trouble. Tell me, when you were asked to stay on after the others had left... Did this young man speak to you again? I think you mentioned something about him wishing you good luck. That's right. He came over and he said that he hoped I wouldn't be further embarrassed by any detention. Uh, forgive the question, but did he appear rather intimate? Did he touch you at all? No, no. Uh, but he... he did come rather near. He actually leaned against the back of the chair. I... I remember pulling away a little. I... I was a little embarrassed. Uh, but he removed his hands at once smiled, gave a little bow, and left the rooms. He really was very charming. Good-looking and well-spoken. I, I, I can't believe that he had anything to do with the missing coin. I think that there you are quite wrong. Right, Miss Summerhays, I think that's as far as we can go on the case at the moment. Uh, Watson, I wonder if you're going in the direction of White and Mills this morning, there in Wigmore Street. The owner of the rooms is Clinton White. If he and Dukes, the auctioneer, can grant me an interview, say, at 3.30 this afternoon, I shall be very much obliged. Yeah, I can go that way, my round's home, yes. Good, isn't it? Oh, that's all, I think. Except for one question, Miss Summerhays. Uh, what is it, Mr. Holmes? Why are you doing all this? I beg your pardon? You are the daughter of Milton Summerhays, are you not? You mentioned earlier that you came to London from Cumberland. That is where the Summerhays live. They've had lands there since the time of William the Conqueror. I can easily look up the history in Who's Who and Debrett. You are related to that family, are you not? Yes. Lord Summerhays is my uncle. He is also a very well-known collector. Stamps and coins. 
So what are you doing working for a London newspaper, eking out a living and staying in Knightsbridge? Why, Miss Summerhead? It must seem very strange to you, Mr. Holmes, but as a famous detective, I have no need to point out to you the details of my personal appearance. I am 25, Mr. Holmes. I'm not exactly a beauty, am I? I've always had an unfortunate face, and my figure is large and ungainly. Oh, oh no. Yes, there is no need to be polite. I am an ugly woman. I am also quite a rich one. I've had many men try to become attached to me, and in every single case it has been for my money. I made up my mind that I would not be used in this fashion. I would not let my life slip by. And so I came to London to try to prove to myself that I... I am a person of, of some worth and, and intelligence who, who can be independent and, and worthwhile. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm afraid you, you have made me speak too freely about myself. I apologize, Miss Summerhays. Please don't be upset. I'm sure you will be successful in working out your personal problems. You are a woman of great courage and determination. You will not fail. You are greatly to be admired. Thank you, Mr. Holmes. May I go now, please? Of course, I shall be available at my home address or the offices of the Evening Star if you should need me. I don't think I shall trouble you again. But rest assured, this whole matter will be cleared up quite soon and there will be no more trouble. I promise you that. Good morning to you, Miss Summerhays. After Miss Summerhays left, Holmes hurriedly scribbled a short note to the owner of the sales rooms in Wigmore Street, Clifton White. And I left for my rounds. I was able to deliver the note quite early... And although I missed Holmes at lunchtime, I was determined not to be left out of things. And so, at 3.30 that afternoon, I made my way back to White and Mill's sales rooms. Holmes was already there. Ah, Watson, I had an idea that you'd wish to join us. Let me introduce you. Clinton White, Dr. John Watson. Uh, we made ourselves known earlier in the day. Glad you could come back, Watson. This is a most delicate affair. Things have often gone wrong in this business, but we've always managed to hush things up. I hope there'll be no trouble this time, no publicity. I mean, the lady from the newspaper. There will be no trouble, I assure you. Uh, now, Watson, to give you a clearer idea of our position, we know that the gentleman who sat next to Miss Summer Hayes and engaged her in conversation quite a few times was a Mr. Derek Olmstead, who lives in Portman Close. It's very near here, and I've sent a message round to him. I expect him at four o'clock. That gives us uh, hmm, half an hour to finalise things. Uh, Mr. White... Would you be good enough to show us to the room used yesterday for the auction? Of course, uh, this way. It is locked, of course. Will be until next Saturday. I'll uh, through here. Uh, the place has been cleared and cleaned, as you can see. All the chairs have been placed to one side. Mm. Yes, in neat rows. <laughs> Let me see. Yes. Yes, I think there will be no trouble at all. I imagine that while you do not wish for publicity, the fact that the public is now made aware of the Oxford Royal Crown, interest in the coin will boost its value. You will get a better price. Uh, fortunately, yes. That would be the case if we can regain the wretched thing. Oh, no difficulty in that. Here you are. Here it is. Mr. Holmes, this, this can't be... But it is. It is the Charles II Oxford Royal. But this is, this is miraculous. Oh, not at all. It was neatly hidden beneath the seat of that chair. They're all identical, of course, but there's a mark on the back of one, a number 28, scratched on the top of the wooden frame. There, so you have the precious coin. And now, all we have to do is wait until it's proved you took it. Shall we adjourn to the next room for half an hour? Already, I was beginning to put the pieces together. It only remained for Holmes to catch the culprit. 
We left the door to the auction rooms ajar and concealed ourselves in the alcove leading to the passage as four o'clock approached. Where you are and don't move, please. Who, who are you? What are you doing here? My name is Sherlock Holmes. I have no need to ask your name or what you are doing here. You came to collect the missing Oxford Royal, didn't you? Will you please produce the coin you have just placed in your breast pocket? I, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I came here to see Mr. White. I, I left some gloves here, and it's no use, Hermstead. Holmes has explained exactly how you bought a quite ordinary lot at the auction yesterday, knowing it was the royal crown. I'll kindly produce that coin. Oh, very well. Here you are. But I bought it legally. I took only what you sold to me. I, I didn't switch the coins. No. You simply noticed that Miss Summerhays did, and so you took advantage of the fact. When people were searched, you had to conceal the coin, so you slipped it into the crack beneath your chair seat. Later, you tried to get it back. But you couldn't. The lady was occupying the place. So you had to mark the seat to identify it and come back later to collect it. Well, it's now your decision, White. Do you prosecute this man or not? Well, I... I don't know. Here, uh, please take the coin. Take it, take it back. You'll make far more money on it now than you would have done yesterday. Please, think of the publicity. I, I shall be a ruined man. Please, please take the coin. No, 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 you can keep it, Olmstead. You didn't think we'd take a chance like that, having found the real one, do you? This is simply two pennies stuck together. Keep it as a reminder that honesty is always the best policy. <laughs> The following classic Springbok Radio commercial comes to you with the courtesy of the Springbok Radio Preservation Society of South Africa. Villa Rosa, the gay red wine, Villa Bianca, the sprightly white. Villa Rosa, Villa Bianca. Lively, exciting, the perfect complement to the perfect meal. The wines of good living. Some things in life are obvious and easy. If you have a business providing a good service or selling a product, you need to let people know. But how do you do that? Easy. Just tell them here on springbokradio.com. Internet radio is about talking to people in their own homes. Your message becomes part of the sound they've chosen to listen to. To find out more about advertising on springbokradio.com, contact Dave Dupria on Johannesburg 011-678-5176 or for outside South Africa, 27116785176 or email dave at springbokradio.com. We were able to reassure Evelyn Summerhays that all was well. The coin had been recovered and was later sold at a highly improved price. We heard no more of Derek Olmsted. There was talk that he'd gone abroad, as Holmes said. He was an amateur criminal, really. I mean, what use was the coin to him? It's not like stealing a string of jewels, which can be broken up and reset and become marketable. A coin remains a coin. If he tried to sell it to a dealer, the whole crime would be exposed. No, no, no. A foolish, greedy young man. And Evelyn Summerhays was right. It was hardly worth my notice. But it helped everyone concerned. 
And after all, it was all over in one short day, wasn't it? Now, well, join me in a drink, Watson, and let's toast our next case of real crime. It's about time I crossed swords with a gentleman known as Moriarty. Listen again next Sunday to The Stories of Sherlock Holmes with Graham Armitage's Holmes and Kerry Jordan as Dr. Watson. Is it, Mrs. Hudson? I came immediately. I received your message. What's wrong with Sherlock Holmes? Well, I, I think he's busted an ankle, sir. He's had a nasty fall right here outside the house. I managed to get him up to his room, but oh dear, you know what he's like. Do come in. Don't you listen to you. He won't take a blind bit of notice of me. Come in. Do your best with him. Present the stories of Sherlock Holmes. A matter of deduction. Looking for space to hang and dry your washing? Washline distributors have the solution. Their rotating and fold-down washlines take up the smallest spaces. Ideal for townhouses, simplexes and balconies at affordable prices. Galvanized or powder-coated and available in five different colors. For 24-hour delivery, installation, reliable and friendly service, phone Washline Distributors on 011-792-2486. That's 011-792-2486. Washlines for every space and need. Die volgende klassieke advertentie van Springbok Radio's verlede kom met die vergunning van die Springbok Radio bewaringsvereniging van Zuid-Afrika. Net meer as een dekade gelede het een paar vers in de Zuid-Afrikaners bij mekaar gekom en die enorme uitdagings van die internationale oliehandel aangedorf. Vandaag met een topgehalte brandstof, een volledige reeks olies en reeds meer as 300 volstaties tot in die verste uithoeken van ons land. Betrek! Jou die een bijmiddel wat rechtig saak maak. Trots, want trek is ons eie. Trek in by die kwaga en maak vol met trots. One Sunday morning, I'd received an urgent message from Mrs. Hudson to call at my old rooms at Baker Street. Sherlock Holmes was in some sort of trouble. Naturally, I, I dropped everything and hurried round. I found my old friend lying on the sofa in the sitting room with his right ankle up on a cushion. 
He refused to take his injuries seriously, but I insisted on a thorough examination. I told Mrs. Hudson not to bother you, but you know what she's like. She'll have to make a fuss. It's only a slight sprain. Nothing yes, broken. Well, well, just hold still for a moment, Holmes, and let me be the judge. Hmm. Yes, yes, I think you may be right, but the swelling's considerable. You'll certainly have to keep it up for a while. Cold compresses will help. It must be very painful. Right, well, I think that's all I can do for you at the moment, Holmes. If you require anything else, you must just let me know. Oh, seems you have another visitor. Now, whoever it is, don't let them get you up and about. The more you rest that ankle, the quicker it will take to mend. Now, you must promise me to be sensible about this, Holmes. I know what a bad patient you can be, so just try and curb your natural impatience, won't you? Excuse me, Mr. Holmes. Inspector Lestrade to see you. Is it all right if I let him up? Of course it is, Mrs. Hudson. I'm not at death's door, you know. Oh, and put the kettle on, will you? I might as well have a nice hot cup of tea. Tea is already on the way. You will stay for a cup, won't you, Doctor? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, thank you, Mrs. Hudson. That would be most agreeable. Very good, sir. This way, Inspector. Ah, Holmes. Watson, quite like old times. I heard that you had suffered an injury, Holmes. Uh, nothing serious, I trust? Uh, very minor, I'm glad to say. Watson's just attended to me and agrees that it's nothing to worry about. Ah. Uh, sit down, Lestrade. Well, tell me what brings you here. Surely it can't just be to inquire about my health. Oh, I was passing this way. Thought I'd drop in. Ah, I see that you've been busy reading the papers. What do you think of this body on the train? Well, there's hardly sufficient data in this newspaper report. It merely says that upon the arrival of the 230... Train at Tilbury yesterday, a porter discovered the body of a dead man in a first-class carriage. The man was identified as Mr. Harold Brightly, and he seems to have met his death through a blow on the side of the head, although no weapon that could have caused the wound has yet been found. I presume that there could have been many reasons for this. Any theories? Uh, hardly. You know, I never go by conjecture, only by facts. Brightly could have been struck by an assailant who left the carriage at an earlier stop, taking the murder weapon with him. On the other hand, he might have leaned out of the open window and been hit by an object on the side of the line, even a passing train. But you must have a professional interest in this restraint. What have you uncovered so far? Well, I must admit that I have been called in. The Essex police asked for Scotland Yard and I was approached. I'm happy to say that I've solved the whole case. Not bad in so short a time, eh? Brightly was murdered, all right, by his own nephew. Just a moment, just a moment. Please start from the beginning... It's only from there that I can sift out the evidence and form my own opinions. Well, to start with the body. At first it appeared that Brightly had been struck a terrific blow by a blunt instrument. There was a wound of about two inches on the right side of his head. But, on closer examination by the police surgeon, it was found that death was due to a bullet uh, from what would seem to be an ordinary army rifle, which was found embedded in the brain. Mm, shooting in a train. Interesting. Uh, what position was the body in? In the right-hand corner facing the engine. Although I don't consider that of any great importance. All facts are important in a case of murder, but pray continue. Well, of course, the first thing to do was to find out more about the dead man and discover a reason why anyone should wish to murder him. Now, he lived with his daughter in a small place called Ben Fleet on the way to Southend. He worked in the city. And yesterday, being Saturday, he left his office at about one. He lunched at a restaurant near Fenchurch Station and took the 2.30 train. Brightly was in business with his nephew, importers, a young fellow called Roy Simmons. Roy Simmons' mother was Brightly's sister, had been dead for a couple of years, and in the...
Brightly was a very aristocratic man. Travelled first class. Simmons is a bit of a wild type. Not much cash. Always travels third. He almost missed the train. Jumped aboard at the last minute. He knew his mates in the army were in the carriage higher up. And so, and this is the interesting part, Holmes, he admits to having scrambled along the footboard outside the train to the third class carriages. The workman on the line reported having seen a man in uniform with a rifle on his back hanging on to the outside of the train. Ah. So you think he was able to shoot his uncle through the open carriage window? And then join his friend... Well, the moment the inquest is over, I shall issue an order for Roy Simmons' arrest. Although I say it myself, I think it's extremely quick work. Oh, it's quick or right for straight, there's no doubt about that. But is it correct? That is the point. There you are, sir. Tea! Ah, a timely interruption, Mrs. Hudson. Uh, would you like to pour, Watson? I'm somewhat incapacitated. Oh, and Lestrade, do promise me that you won't make any move on this rather unusual case until I've given the matter far more thought, won't you? Uh, two sugars for me, as usual. Thank you, Watson. Holmes managed to steer the conversation away from Lestrade's latest case, but I could tell that his interest had been fully roused. He motioned me to stay on after we'd taken tea, and when Lestrade had left, he once again picked up the newspaper and studied the account of the murder. Mm, singular case, Watson. Of course, Lestrade is flushed with pride, and I suspect that he only called in here to show me that he was in complete command of the situation. Well, he does seem to have a very good case, Holmes. I question that, Watson. Unfortunately, I'm unable to carry out a full investigation. I can only think the matter out from this couch. As you know, I always like to visit the scene of the crime personally and collect my own facts from first-hand observation. This wretched sprained ankle prevents any such course. I can but rely upon second-hand evidence. Uh, you wouldn't be prepared to act for me on this matter, would you, Watson? Well, I, I, I'll do everything I can, Holmes, but as you know, I, I have not your powers of observation and deduction. I could very easily jump to the wrong conclusion. Not nearly as readily as our good friend the Strayed, I do assure you. So you will help? Well, I can, of course. Yes. Good. Then the first thing I would like you to do is this. Uh, oh, dear. That seems to be my morning for visitors, doesn't it? Uh, Mrs. Hudson will be asking for weekends off in future. Ah, oh, she won't while you're laid up. She's far too loyal. Uh, w would you rather I came again uh, later? Home? No, 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 no. I should prefer you to stay if you have the time. Oh, very well. Excuse me, Mr. Holmes. Young lady and gentleman to see you. Mr. Roy Simmons and Miss Joyce Brightly. Ah, this becomes most interesting. Uh, pray do come in, both of you. Uh, meet my friend and colleague, Dr. Watson. Uh, excuse the fact that I cannot stand. Oh, thank you. I'm sorry to have called without an appointment, but this really is a most urgent matter. Uh, may I introduce Miss Brightly? Uh, please be seated. Thank you, Mr. I think I can tell why you're here. You've been interviewed by Scotland Yard, have you not, Mr. Simmons? And you fear an immediate arrest for the murder of your uncle. Oh, that's true, Mr. Holmes. But I didn't do it. I, I swear I didn't do you it. You didn't, Mr. Holmes. I know he didn't. Oh, please, can't you help us? I will certainly try my best. If it's any consolation, I must say straight away that I believe you are entirely innocent, Mr. Simmons. I'm quite sure of that. But how can we prove it? That is the tricky question, isn't it? Only by finding the true murderer. Enjoy the best of both worlds. Only two hours drive from Johannesburg and Pretoria and half an hour by air. The magnificent Sundown Ranch Hotel and Lion Park, just 10 kilometers from the Pilansburg Game Reserve and Sun City Resort. It offers an exciting escape from the hustle and bustle of everyday life. Reasonable rates. 
excellent food, friendly service and comfortable air-conditioned rooms. It will ensure a memorable stay. Activities include tennis, squash, horse riding, the lion park and much, much more. Call now to make your reservation on 014-573-1000. That's 014-573-1000. Visit their website at www.restonations.co.za forward slash sundown rock. The Sundown Ranch Hotel and Lion Park, two worlds in one. I had a chance to study the young couple and quickly formed the opinion that although they were cousins, they were very fond of each other. They made no secret about this. Roy Simmons explained. I think I must explain, Mr. Holmes, that one of the reasons that I didn't get along very well with my uncle was the fact that Joyce and I have been in love for some while. There was a resentment upon his part. We, we tried to explain. He wouldn't listen. He was always a very stubborn man. He was against cousins marrying, and, well, I, I know he thought I just wasn't good enough for Joyce. I, I think that had he lived, he, he'd have come round to accepting us together. But then this, this dreadful tragedy occurred, and... For the way that Scotland Yard works it out, things look very black for us. That's why we decided to come to you. Oh, please. You say you believe in Roy, but that you have to find out the true murderer. But how can you do so, Mr. Holmes? There is simply no one who has a motive to kill my father. How can there be? All this will be revealed in good time, Miss Brightley. I requested Inspector Lestrade of Scotland Yard not to make any positive moves against Mr. Simmons until I've had time to collect many more facts. Uh, tell me when the inquest will be held. Uh, on Tuesday morning. It means we have so little time. I suppose you'll be unable to be present, Mr. Holmes. My good friend, Dr. Watson, tells me that I must remain here and not put any weight upon my injured ankle. I regret that all inquiries will have to be done for me by Watson. However, I see no reason to despair. I take it that you can hold yourself available for any interviews or journeys that I can arrange on your behalf, Mr. Simmons? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, here's my card. Uh, I live in a small apartment in Ashworth Road, Paddington. I'll be at home from now on. I shall be back at the family home at Benfleet. Please feel free to call me at any time, Mr. Holmes. It's imperative that this dreadful tragedy is solved immediately. I shall certainly do my best. Just a few questions before you leave, and then the investigation will be taken over by Dr. Watson. Now, a detailed account of your movements from the moment you caught that train in your soldier's uniform, if you please, Mr. Simmons. Roy Simmons gave us a clear account of his actions of the previous day, and I could tell from the frank and yet clumsy way he told his tale that it was the truth. It was a confession of some bravado, but I believed every word of it. Holmes sat back on the sofa, the tips of the fingers of each hand placed gently together, his eyes half-closed as though picturing all he was told. Eventually, he smiled and dismissed the couple, promising them that he would take action immediately. When they'd been shown out by Mrs. Hudson, he made several immediate requests. Firstly, Watson, mm -hmm. my books... Railway timetable and ordnance maps from the shelves by the fireplace, if you don't mind. Yes. This case is becoming remarkably interesting. I think you'll find the red barn books are the ones. A six-inch survey map that covers the countryside from Raynham to Purdom. Uh, let, let's see. Uh, uh, oh, uh, these are the ones you want. Yes, yes, those are they. Uh, yes, yes, now this is what I'm looking for. Come, uh, study this with me, Watson. 
You see, here is the railway, and here, running alongside, is the country road. Now, it breaks way round about here, as it enters Rainham Marsh. There are rifle ranges there, and here. Now, this presumably was where the reserve soldiers were doing their afternoon practice. Roy Simmons must have been shooting on this one. Yes, yes, this is most interesting. I'm afraid I must ask you to take a trip down to Raynham, Watson. I want as much information as can be obtained from the warden in charge of the ranges. Take Roy Simmons with you. He'll know the terrain. And while you're at it, I think you should go by train from Fenchurch Street, occupy a first-class carriage, sit on the right-hand side facing the engine, and carry out a simple experiment. Will you? Of course I agreed, and some two hours later found myself on the South End train from London. I had the maps open upon my knee, and Roy Simmons explained the countryside in great detail. I was very conscious of my own inadequacies, realizing that Holmes would make far more out of everything than I could. But I tried to follow his instructions as carefully as possible. Now, what I wish you to do, Simmons, is to stand up over there by the opposite window and hold that walking stick as though you had a rifle. Now point it at me and hold your aim as steadily as you can. Very well. I, I think it won't be easy. I might add that I'm not the best of shots. That's why I was part of the team that had to put in extra practice. However, uh, here goes. Uh, yes. Now, you mean, you mean like this? Uh, that's it, as though the stick's coming through the window. Yeah. Tricky. Oh. How's that? Yes. Yes, I, I think I see what Holmes is after. You're having a hard time pointing that stick accurately. And if you were outside on the running board holding on with one hand, it would be virtually impossible to aim accurately through the window. The motion of the train would have thrown you off. Well, that's one theory taken care of. Oh, thank goodness for that. I don't mind admitting that I was scared stiff hanging on out there anyway. It was only my mates cheering me on that kept me going. But, uh, Dr. Watson, my uncle was killed in this train. I, I didn't do it, so... So who the devil did? Well, I can't answer that, but a glimmer of light is beginning to dawn. Uh, perhaps after we've visited the rifle rangers, we shall have a better idea. Uh, how much farther to the stop where we get off? And uh, will there be anyone there on a Sunday afternoon? The journey didn't take more than another 15 minutes, and there was a warden in charge of the Rain and Marsh Range. He explained that there was no activity at that particular time. Oh, nothing going on at the moment. Always quiet on a Sunday. It's uh, weekdays and Saturdays that we're busy. Uh, yesterday, the Army Reserves were in action, I understand. Uh, do you mind showing me exactly where the practice took place? Oh, it was over there on number eight range, wasn't it, Warden? I was part of the team. Oh, that's so. Oh, a bunch of right rotten shots you were, too. Yes, that's where you were firing. Uh, you notice that the butts are placed right against the fence. Uh, beyond that's the marsh and the river. Oh. So that if anyone was particularly wild with their firing, there could be no danger from flying bullets. Oh, heaven help us now. That's why the place is designed as it is. Very little danger here. The red flags go up, of course, and no one's allowed to walk across. Never been any accidents, I'm thankful to say. Of course, on the other side, there's a house or two and the railway, but, um, well, the fire doesn't go in that direction. Uh, excuse me, Warden, but wasn't there other activity going on down here during yesterday afternoon? 
I think I heard some of the men talking about some unusual firing. Oh, aye, that's right, yeah. Over there, number nine range. Uh, special testing going on from Woolwich. Newfangled sort of gun, a, a sort of repeater device. Uh, testing it out, they were. I <laughs> can't say whether it was a great success or not. War office were in charge, you see. It's all very secret, nush hush. I see. Well, there doesn't seem to be anything else to keep us here, Simmons. We'd better be getting back to Baker Street and report to Holmes. I'm afraid he won't be at all impressed. I'm not a very good substitute, I'm afraid. Oh, uh, thank you, Wharton. You've been very kind. Uh, come on, Simmons. We shall just be in time to take the return train. Back at Baker Street, I made the report to Holmes in as detailed a manner as possible. Roy Simmons helped me by drawing a rough sketch of the position of the rifle rangers and the railway and confirming all that had taken place. Holmes was naturally impatient and annoyed that he had been able to conduct the investigation in person. He studied the survey maps and our sketches in great detail. Uh, that's no use, Watson. I shall have to go down there myself. Oh, but Holmes, you can't. It's, it's important that you do not use that leg in its present state. I shall take a stout stick and put very little weight upon the ankle. I'm quite convinced that the answer to this case lies on that rifle range. We've proved that no one on that train could have committed the murder. The rifle range has got to be the answer. Please, be good enough to get in touch with Lestrade at Scotland Yard. He must hire a four-wheeler, and we shall drive down there. Now, there's a path that goes across the marshes. I shall conduct the investigation from there. Come. Enough time has been wasted as it is. We must get back to Raynham while it's still light. Hurry, Watson. Hurry. And so, yet again, I made the journey down to Raynham. Holmes was silent for most of the journey, and I could tell that Lestrade thought the whole thing a waste of time. Once on the rifle range, Holmes produced some powerful field glasses and studied the countryside. He seemed particularly interested in number nine range, where the new rifle tests had been conducted. Mm, most extraordinary. It's very good of you to give us so much of your time, Warden. Uh, tell me a little more about this test rifle. Uh, was it held by hand by one of the men from Woolwich? Oh, no, sir. A special clamp was used to hold it quite steady. Very powerful gun it is, too. Something went wrong right at the end of the test. It slipped from the clamp, I believe, and the, the last round must have gone off over in the river over there. Ah, something went wrong and the target was missed. That's just the information I was looking for. Watson, Lestrade, study the scene before you. Imagine, if you can, what would happen if bullets from a highly powered gun got sprayed about this range. Yeah, I can't see that it would make much difference. As the warden says, they would simply have gone by the target... And into the marsh or river. Yes, yes, unless one bullet was deflected in some way. It is possible. In fact, more than possible. Uh, Watson, uh, lend me that rather burly shoulder of yours to lean upon. I'm about to hop my way across the grass and show you just how Brightly was killed. It was not murder at all, it was a pure accident. Come, let me explain. As we helped Holmes to stagger across the rifle range, he began to explain his theory. It all began to make sense. Even the straight was impressed and forced to listen. I was staggered that the facts could have been placed together so accurately without Holmes having been anywhere near the scene of the death. It was clear from the beginning that Simmons could never have killed his uncle. In the first place, if he was on the train, then he would have had to fire at very close range. A rifle bullet would have simply gone through the man's head and not lodged in the brain. It was obvious that the bullet that killed Brightly was very near the end of its flight, and so must have been fired from a long way off. Now, although the rifle used on this range was pointing in the wrong direction, supposing it hits that metal flagstaff in front of us, 
It would then have ricocheted off, been deflected and entered the open window of the passing train. A bullet deflected in this way usually turned over and over in its flight, and that would account for the unusual size of the wound. There. Look up there on the flagstaff. That is a recent scar where the paint has been chipped away. I submit to you that that is how Brightly was killed. Check the times of the train against the last round fired by that new rifle from Woolwich, and I think you have the case solved. Don't you, Lestrade? And an innocent man will be able to go free. Saved purely by a matter of deduction. Elementary. Not so, my dear Watson. Listen again next Sunday to The Stories of Sherlock Holmes with Graham Armitage's Holmes and Kerry Jordan as Dr. Watson.